Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word among, only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gifts, gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now we continue our study of the books of Acts, and we are now in chapter 11. Our focus this morning will be on the second half of the chapter, from verse 19 to the end. Uh, but let me give you a quick summary of the first 18 verses. Uh, the first 18 verses tells us about the concern some Jewish believers in Jerusalem have after they heard about Peter's ministry to Cornelius and his household. Uh, they are concerned that Peter, a Jew, has broken the taboo of mixing with Gentiles. Uh, Peter therefore tells the church in Jerusalem everything that had happened in Joppa and Caesarea. Peter explains that God has given the same gift of the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles as he had given to the Jews. So the believing Gentiles are now included into God's family on equal terms with believing Jews. And so the Jewish believers in Jerusalem are persuaded and they have no further objections to the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles being convinced that God has indeed granted um, even the Gentiles repentance unto life. And we read this in verse 18 of chapter 11. And verse 19 begins a new section. And this new section tells us that once the barrier between Jew and Gentiles is removed, the gospel quickly spreads to the Gentiles. And large-scale evangeliz evangelization of Gentiles has begun in the city of Antioch. And on the screen, you can see where Antioch is. It's right up in northern Syria. Uh, in the New Testament times, Antioch was a cosmopolitan city with a mixture of Greeks, 
uh, Jews, Orientals, and Romans. And it was the third largest city of the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. And it was in Antioch that believers were first called Christians. Now, if you are asked about your religion, I assume that all of you will identify as Christians. And I believe your family and friends know that you are a Christian. But do they know why you are a Christian? Is it because you go to church on Sunday? Or is it because of your lifestyle? Now, when I was growing up in the country of my birth, uh, we were still under the influence of British colonial rule. And it was not unusual to label any Englishman a Christian. So it did not matter how ungodly they were. If their skin was white, they were presumed to be Christian. Now, today we don't define a Christian by the skin color. However, if someone is against same-sex marriage, if someone is against gender affirmation, they're likely to be presumed as Christians. But this is not always true because we know that non-Christians also share the same value as Christians. So there can be wrong presumptions about Christians. How then should we define a Christian? What do they do? How they are like? So this is where this morning's uh, focus on the second part of chapter 11 will help us. Now we will learn that believers in Antioch are called Christians because they are followers of Christ. And that's what the word Christian means, followers, followers of Christ. And they are followers of Christ because they do four things, four activities. One, they constantly talk about Christ. Two, they live to be like Christ. And three, they continue and obey the teaching of Christ. And fourthly, they demonstrate in their lives the compassion of Christ. And so we will look at these four features and four activities of Christians in Antioch as we go through the passage. First, the believers in Antioch constantly talked about Christ. So verses 19 and 20 tell us how the gospel gets to Antioch. Uh, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travel as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So Stephen's martyrdom, which we read about in chapter 9, um, or chapter 7, uh, his martyrdom caused a dispersion of Jewish believers into places as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. 
And at these new locations, the believers naturally shared the gospel with fellow Jews. However, at Antioch, some Jewish believers begin to move out of their comfort zone and they reach out to the Gentiles as well because they speak Greek. And these Greek-speaking Jewish believers are not part of the apostolic leadership. They are just ordinary believers. And they begin to tell the Gentiles the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but regularly. So now you can understand why the believers are called Christians, because they are constantly talking about Christ. And so today, if we call ourselves Christians, we too need to tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Not once, not twice, but constantly, regularly, wherever there is opportunity. Now look at what happens when Christians constantly talk about Christ to their Gentiles' neighbours. Verse 21 reads, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That is amazing, isn't it? The church in Antioch grows exponentially in numbers because Christ is constantly proclaimed. And so we can draw two lessons from here, two lessons about church growth. The first lesson is that church growth happens when the gospel is proclaimed because the Lord's hand is in it. Whenever we preach the gospel, the Lord's hand is in it. And we do not need a big name or a famous evangelist to come and preach the gospel. You see, the church in Antioch grew in numbers through ordinary believers, through you and me. So if we want people to come to know Christ, more people to come to know Christ, you and I must constantly share the gospel. Share the gospel with family and friends whenever there is opportunity. And sharing the gospel is not telling them, telling people God loves them and has a plan for them. I mean, that's true. God loves people and has a plan for them, but that is not the gospel. As we learned from Peter in his outreach to Cornelius uh, last Sunday, uh, sharing the gospel involves telling people four things about Jesus. We tell them that Jesus came in history to set us free from sin and death. We tell them by his death on the cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin to set us free from sin. And three, we, by his bodily resurrection, Jesus gives us the gift of eternal life and set us free from death. And four, the resurrected Jesus will return to judge the earth, judge the whole world. And Jesus will save us from this judgment when we put our trust in him. That, that is the gospel. And so when you and I constantly talk about Jesus, the Lord's hand will be with us and we can see the Lord adding to our numbers. And this brings us to our second lesson on church growth. 
Now, when a church grows in numbers, it does not necessarily mean that the Lord's hand is in it. When a church grows in numbers, the Lord's hand may not be in it. You see, churches can be filled to capacity even when no gospel or when a false gospel is preached. And this is because churches can draw crowds with human hands, not the Lord's hand, with human hands and with human innovations. And there is a use of gimmickry, where the music and entertainment evoke multi-sensory experiences, complete with dazzling lights and smoke machines. So we must be careful not to use gimmickry to draw people to church. No, we must preach Christ crucified, always. And, we, and when we do that constantly, God will add to our number, just like he did to the church in Antioch. Now, the rapid growth of the church in Antioch does not go unnoticed. When the church in Jerusalem hears about it, they send Barnabas to investigate what is going on in Antioch. Now, we first learned about Barnabas back in chapter 4. He was the one who sold a field and brought the money to support the work of the apostles. And verse 24 of chapter 11 tells us that he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Barnabas arrives at Antioch, he sees the grace of God at work in the lives of the Gentile believers. He sees the grace of God at work in the lives of the Gentile believers. Now, what this means is that Barnabas sees that the new converts, they are learning to live Christ-like lives. They are learning to live Christ-like lives. And this is the second feature of a Christian. A Christian will show a changed life, a changed life from self-serving to Christ-serving. And this church is the work, uh, this change is the work of God's grace. You see, God's grace does not only save us, but God's grace produces our sanctification so that we become Christ-like. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Titus, tells us that it is by the grace of God that we say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions. And it is by the grace of God that we live self-controlled lives, upright and godly lives in this present age. And it is by the grace of God that we are transformed into Christ-likeness. So if we call ourselves Christians, people must see the grace of God at work in us. So the question for us is, do outsiders see us living holy lives? Do they see us fighting sin? Do they see Christ in us? Now, of course, we will not be completely Christ-like this side of heaven. We therefore need encouragement. We need encouragement to persevere in our faith. 
And that is what Barnabas does for the Gentiles, the Gentile Christians in Antioch. Barnabas saw, sees the, the grace of God at work in these Gentile lives, but he knows that they need encouragement because to be a Christian is hard, difficult. And so he encourages them. Sorry, what did I do? So he encourages them uh, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now, Barnabas lives up to his name. His name means son of encouragement. And we see him always encouraging fellow believers. You may remember that back in chapter 9, soon after Saul was converted on his way to Damascus, it was Barnabas who encouraged the apostles in Jerusalem to accept Saul as a genuine believer and as a fellow apostle to the Gentiles. And so now in Antioch, Barnabas is encouraging believers to persevere in their faith in Jesus. Why? Because it is never easy to remain a believer in ancient Antioch. And it is no easier today. Today, we face hostility from the world. We therefore need sons of encouragement like Barnabas, don't we? We need people like Barnabas to encourage Christians. And new believers may have doubts and new believers often wonder if they are truly saved. And they will find all sinful habits hard to shake off. And they face temptation to return to their old way of life. And so new believers need encouragement. Encouragement to deepen their faith through the study of Scripture, through prayer, and through fellowship in regular meetings like this. Now, believers of some years may need a different kind of encouragement. They may be impatient with their spiritual growth, uh, or they may struggle with relating their faith to their work, or they may have to deal with workplace hostility because of their faith. And they may also be tempted to give up their faith. So they need not lots of encouragement to live out the gospel even if it is costly. So we need sons of encouragement in our church today. And each of us may be able to think of a Barnabas in our lives. Now, when I was a, a, a young Christian, a new Christian, I had a Barnabas. He came alongside me when I was down, when I was weak, when I was vulnerable. And he uh, sort of had personal Bible study with me. And he encouraged me to remain faithful to Jesus. And I thank God for him. And he made me want to be a Barnabas to someone else. And so if you have been blessed by a Barnabas in your life, pray that God will use you as a Barnabas to someone else. Now, the real Barnabas not only encourages the believers in Antioch, he also partners with them in their gospel outreach. 
And we read that in the second half of uh, verse 24. So as a result, even more people are brought into the church. And so we can see what encouragement and partnership in ministry can do to advance the kingdom of God. So it's a good combination, encouragement and partnership. That is why partnership in gospel ministry is so important. We are not meant to do gospel ministry on our own. See, every church should be in some form of partnership with another church or with another parachurch organization or even mission, uh, missionary organization. And we thank God that uh, TGCC is in partnership with uh, gospel workers in campus ministries as, as well as in uh, overseas missions. And we are glad now to be in partnership with Revitalize Australia. And Timothy Lau is here this morning to encourage us and he will meet with some of us as part of his work uh, to guide us through the process of renewal and revitalization. Uh, we also are glad that Andrew and Heather Reed are coming on board to partner us in this gospel ministry. And so with all three parties in partnership, we pray that God will use TGCC to bring many more people into Christ's kingdom, just as what happened in Antioch. But of course, it will be on a much smaller scale. Now, what happens in Antioch is an explosion of evangelism. And we can imagine that there are many new converts every day, and, and they need to be taught. They need to be taught the basics of the faith. They need to be taught how to mature in the faith and then to be taught to live out the gospel in the marketplace. And new leaders and leaders need to be trained to run the church. So there is much work to be done. And Barnabas knows that he can't do it alone. He needs partners. He, need, he needs help. And who can he turn to? This is when Barnabas then remembers Saul. Saul, who has been called to be the apostles to the Gentiles. Now, Barnabas remembers that soon after he introduced Saul to the other apostles in Jerusalem, uh, Saul had returned to Tarsus. But that was about eight years ago. Would Saul still be in Tarsus? Well, nobody knows. And the only way to find out is to go to Tarsus. And Tarsus is not too far away from Antioch as the map on the screen uh, shows us. And after an exhaustive search in Tarsus, Barnabas finds Saul and brings him to Antioch. And verse 26 tells us of this great, wonderful gospel partnership. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, what, what do you think Barnabas and Saul taught the believers in Antioch for one whole year? 
Well, remember the Great Commission, Jesus tells the apostles to teach converts everything he has commanded them. And so the believers are taught about Christ, about his life, his death, his resurrection, his glorification, and his second coming. And they are also taught the teachings of Christ and to obey them. And this brings us to the third feature of a Christian. A Christian is someone who continues, who obeys the teachings of Christ. And so we can understand why the local pagans in Antioch, when they look at this group of believers, they call them Christians. Because they are constantly talking about Christ. And they are living to be like Christ. And they are learning the teachings of Christ and obeying them. Now, in calling them Christians, um, the pagans probably uh, did not mean um, the term to be derogatory, but probably a nickname, perhaps in jest. But today, we can expect negative and hostile reactions when we mention the term Christians. Well, this is partly because the history of church scandals involving sexual abuse, corruption, and abuse of power uh, has given unbelievers good reasons to think badly of Christians. But we can try to restore the reputation of Christians. And one way to recover this reputation uh, one way to restore this reputation is um, to recover the three features for which the first Christians in Antioch were known for. So we need to recover the joy of talking about the good news about Jesus. If we can share the good news in a winsome way, not in a judgmental or in a dogmatic way, we may help reduce the antagonism. Two, we also need to freely exhibit the grace of God in our lives. We must want to reflect Christ's likeness or people must see Christ in us. Jesus was gentle and patient, so must we. Jesus was not vindictive or violent, neither can we. Jesus was gracious, and we must also be gracious. And when we show the, the grace of God in our lives, we can give our detractors no grounds to slander us. And even if they wrongly slander us, we will continue to do good because we are a people who pay evil with good. We are people who pay evil with good. And thirdly, we want to obey Christ's teaching to love even our enemies. That may mean that we don't slander our enemies, we don't take revenge on them, and we are willing to help them when they are in need. And in this way, 
they can see Christ in us. So these are the three things that we need to do. But there's a fourth thing that we also need to do because there's a fourth feature of what Christian means. And that is we are to demonstrate the compassion of Christ. And we demonstrate the compassion of Christ through our generosity. So we see this in the first Christians in Antioch. Look at verses 27 and 30. Uh, during this time, some uh, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. They did this, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. So Christians are to be generous people. And we are to give generously to relieve aid, especially to our fellow uh, believers who are in, uh, in need of help. And we want to give them help based on two principles. One, it's because of our compassion. The compassion of Christ compels us to have compassion for our human fellow beings who are in need. And the second principle of giving is according to our ability. Those who have more can give more, but, and those who have less um, can give what they can afford. So, uh, since the New Testament time, Christians have always been known for their compassion. They have been known to be charitable, and they have been known to be generous. So let us keep up this reputation today. And let us be true to the name Christians. It's a wonderful name, Christians. It's a wonderful name. Because we, are, because we have a wonderful Savior. Christ has redeemed us with His blood. We now belong to Him. And we want to live for Him. And we will not be ashamed to share in His suffering. For then we know we will also share in His glory. Let me therefore encourage you to remain true true to Jesus with all your heart. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, at this present time when there is so much negative publicity about Christians, help us not to be ashamed of your name. Strengthen us to be faithful followers of Christ. Give us the courage to stand firm and to make Christ known to all the people around us. May we at TGCC continue to display the grace of God in our midst. And may we always be generous and charitable to all who are in need. Use us to be your instruments of peace. And may we shine the light of the gospel in this dark world to bring many more into your kingdom of light. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.